podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello there, my name is Miles Jupp, cricket fan, and together with my co-host Mark Wood, actual cricket man, we invite you to listen to Middle Please Umpire, a new cricket podcast containing the two of us banging on and sounding off together about cricket and quite possibly all manner of other things, while lifting the lid on Mark's life as an international cricketer. And as if that wasn't enough, we shall be welcoming some great guests along the way and chatting to them about life on and off the playing field as they spill the beans, drop some truth bombs and see if they can withstand the scrutiny of our brutal interrogations. Middle Please Umpire is available right now from all your favourite podcast providers. Hello and welcome to the Whistleblowers podcast. Another episode coming at you live. We've got a lot of intrigue and uh, sort of fascination involved in the show today because we, in real time, we've got co-presenter Martin Gritton driving. We've got him in the car on his hands-free phone. I assume it's hands-free. Grits, is that right? Checking in, Mark. Yes, yeah. it is. Uh, as I, well, I may as well just sit on a, on a bench on the side of the road for for all the all the <laughs> all the driving that I'm actually doing. Well, where are you driving? I'm trying to get across London because I'm I'm doing commentary tonight at uh, Roots Hall. Um, but there was just no, yeah, there was just no physical way of. St- I literally had to get across London before Russia, and now I'm smack bang in the middle of it. So you'll be getting some lovely updates. So this heading- is uh, this is white knuckle edge of the seat drama here on the Whistleblowers <laughs> podcast. Uh, that's Martin Grit, and I'm Mark Smith. Also with us, as ever, it appears at the minute. I mean, it's just us three now, isn't it? It feels it like um, Gareth Dobson. How you doing, Gareth? I am good. I'm currently slightly concerned at how loud my dog is snoring. So. Big apologies if that comes through the mic. So something for everyone on the podcast today then. Uh, <laughs> dogs, uh, bad takes on football, and a Scottish man getting furious in traffic. Uh, where do you <laughs> want to start? Uh, we've got so much to talk about. I mean, this the weekend just gone, it felt like something shifted and went, for want of a better word, wacky. Uh, we had fans, a few fans back in the uh, back in the stadiums. Let's let's start with that actually, because Gritton, I want to talk to you about this in in particular. Sure, as sure, uh, sure. as an ex player, okay, only two thousand people in, but two thousand people actually can make a lot of noise. We found out how much difference would that have made to the players. Do you know what it was? It was amazing. I uh, I was covering a game, or I was covering a Torquay United match. Uh, they were playing Kings Lynn, um, uh, and no way fans were allowed in, and the difference it made was massive. I mean, Kings Lynn are languishing near the bottom, maybe fourth bottom of the conference, and uh, or the National League, I should call it. And Torquay were top, and Torquay obviously playing unstoppably at the minute, and um, and Kings Lynn just raised their game completely, and it became quite a hostile environment, and it was obviously raining and a little bit skiddy, so the players were under pressure that they hadn't been under for a while, and it was bizarre, and and obviously. That translates a little bit, but 2,000 people in Premier League stadiums is a little bit different. But it was fascinating to see the kind of psychology of the players change. Definitely. Well, watching it on TV, I don't know if you thought this, Gareth. Watching it on TV, there was a, a stark difference. Like, you know, we've had the mm. we've had the pretend crowd noise, which I think actually they've done quite a good job with generally. But it was nice to feel something real. Have you, have you, have you noticed much of a difference as a, as a viewer? Yeah, it, it just feels so much more human it's yeah i think we all convinced ourselves that the artificial crowd noise was fine and it was basically exactly the same and it was so starkly different when you had you know a real reacting crowd and you had the ebb and the flow and i don't know whether they you know particularly mic'd it up or tried to really bring in but there was something like so pleasant about it i never thought i i would have missed it as much but yeah it was fantastic and 
as Chris saying, I think it definitely, definitely had an impact. Yeah, I think so. I yeah, it just you got to remember, it's not just 2,000 fans. It's 2,000 fans that have been starved of it for so many months now that they're back in. And even though they're masked up or whatever, they are up for it. So I thought it was just, I thought it was great. Didn't bring a tear to my eye quite, but not far off. Don't mind admitting no, that. The other thing is, um, one of the things you miss and are so integral to sports coverage is uh, all the cutaways to the crowd reactions in, in games. Yeah. And yeah, there's all these wonderful things like, you know, and, there was at, at Gibson Park. There was the the guy in the blue Santa suit, absolutely having it when Crystal Palace equalised. Basically, the entire contents of the uh, the stand behind the goal just emptied down towards the uh, the front, and all you know, all these amazing kind of you know immediate reaction things, which really give you the sense of drama. I think that's Definitely. what has been missing. Yeah, and also that's that's sort of how Premier League football is sold around the world, isn't it? I mean, you. You talk to people abroad and they say they like the passion of the fans in the Premier League. And I guess even if there's only 2,000 of them, it's better than nothing. Um, having said all of this, Arsenal fans have waited for months to get back in the stadium. And after the game, or towards the end of the game against Burnley, they were leaving before the end. They'd seen yeah. enough. So let's let's start with Arsenal because I, I feel like, obviously, Gareth, you're a Spurs fan. You'll, uh, you'll enjoy talking about this. And we have talked about Arsenal in quite a lot of detail the last few weeks. But they're not giving us any choice. We, we, we've got to talk about Arsenal. It feels like it's coming towards the end. Mikel Arteta's interview after that Burnley defeat, he just seems like a broken man to me. He was so chippy with the with the uh, the interviewer. He seems like he's seems like he doesn't want to be there. What would you make of it, Gareth? It's. I mean, I guess there's two parts. The sort of how stunning the sort of the defeat was in terms of yeah, it's Arsenal look basically completely broken and. And just not there. And then I guess the wider questions are uh, what exactly has actually happened and what sort of you know precipitated all of this. I, I, looking at the the Arteta situation, it's it's so strange that a team who were performing so well, like at the end of last season, only a few months ago, you know, went on a great one run, won won the FA Cup. You know, looked things look really rosy. They secured Aubameyang on a contract, and then suddenly the whole thing just sort of careens into the into the ditch and you know obviously the don't say that while, while martin's driving please <laughs> sorry no just yet don't worry <laughs> but it's um yeah there, there's also been lots of changes at the top there's been infighting things seem even less stable than uh yeah they have been for for the last few years and it's been quietly pretty pretty tumultuous and you wonder mm. if that's now just feeding through into the playing staff and, and whether you know there is that sense of playing for a club that that doesn't feel like it's going anywhere. Yeah, I wonder. Like, have you have you ever played at a club where you just got the sense that it isn't happening, and you know, for the club, and it's rudderless, and it does then sort of affect how the players perform. Yeah, the club. Well, it, it's interesting. It was quite telling. Kieran Tierney was put forward for press after the game because, I mean, irrespective of how well a player's played, he's you know he's brave enough to take it on the chin, and he's at Celtic. He was a leader. You know, yeah, where's your club captain though? Where's Aubameyang during this? Well, this is it. This is the point. The point is that it, it probably suggests that they lost the dressing room, and you know those signings that just. You know, when Alexis Sanchez went to United and you were just it just fell apart. It was almost like a kind of trigger. It's the same way that William William got given all this money at his age and just you know not being able to have the impact, uh, but just not be able to 
I don't know. I suppose, putting, putting the hopes on the new glad coming in. That's why I was just looking at the Kieran Tierney situation. I'm going like, well, this guy's now the spokesperson. And, and it, the board have got a difficult decision. Either they back Arteta, who it seems like they, it feels like they have to, but he's not a proven manager. He's not a guy that knows how to get them out of this. And if you can't get them out of this and it happens again and they back him, well, well what's good? You know, what's You're next? Deeper hole. Yeah, well, exactly. I was going to ask you, Grits. I was going to ask you. So if, let, let's, let's go with that logic that they might have, he might have lost the dressing room. He might have done. I don't think he has yet, but let, let's let's just follow this line for a minute. If that happens, is there any going back? Or once you hit a certain point, is that it? It's just downhill from there on. Have you been in a situation where the players have just switched off to the manager, but the manager, after a few weeks or months, has managed to get them back on side? Yes, well, you've got to do the... You got to do the deep cut, you know. You got to cut out the cancer, the the toxic environment. Sorry, I've just had a moped cut right in front of me. Yeah, I mean this is this is just professional. I mean Martin Gritton you know. ploughing into mopeds, and it's live <laughs> here on the whistleblowers. Um, but you have to you have to cut it out. So you have to look at what the problem is, and if or make an example of someone. And you know, generally, the level I played, it would be a case of you'd see five five new faces come in and they'd all be loanees from higher divisions and, and they'd be coming to take your place. And it would either be that that give you the kick up the arse to get the lads playing the way that they needed to play or, which which might happen, is, you know, the change of manager. But the talent's there in the dressing room, isn't it? I mean, like, it's, you would expect, as, as Tierney said, you know, the, the players are there. Um, they've yeah, got to make yeah. a stand. And, and, and But, but it, just, it points to a deeper problem at the club, which is, you know, something that we've been talking about on this, not just you know, not just on this this pod or this season, but but over the over the last few years, uh, and when Wenger left, so you know. Yeah, let's move on. We've done Arsenal quite a lot over the last few weeks. I don't want to stick the boot in too much, but uh, what I will say is, if um, if I lost the dressing room, first thing I'd do in your situation there is uh, is drop Martin Gritton and get rid of him. I feel like yeah. he's the, probably the the issue at the club. Um, okay, let's. let's move happen- on. I mean, that happened far too many times, Mark. So maybe <laughs> oh, there is something in it. So you 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 really. I mean, this is a real epiphany for me. It's a journey in many ways. <laughs> For me, this not just not just a vehicular one, but well, you're going to be in the tunnel a long time, and that that is also uh, a metaphor. (laughs) Okay, Um, there were some uh, eyebrow-raising results this weekend. Uh, Southampton and Leicester were the two that just got on with business. They both won at home 3-0. And it was actually a great weekend for both of those because everyone around them dropped points. Spurs went to Palace. Let's talk about that. Gareth, you're a Spurs fan. Um, I thought one all was probably a fair result. Um, it seemed like a, a very tumultuous game, that one. What did you make of it? It was... You've seen a lot of these these games uh, from Spurs this year in terms of... I can't tell whether Mourinho will naturally pull his team back when they have a lead because he's so confident in his tactics and his team style of play or whether Spurs, you know, the team themselves naturally withdraw because, you know, they they, they fear conceding, ironically, then creating the chances for, for the other team to score. So, you know, it's, it's four or five times over the season where Spurs have basically lost or drawn because they've sat on sat on the lead and they've invited the other team onto them and they suffered the consequences i mean the uh, the newcastle game with the super late penalty from eric dyer is one of them obviously west ham every time they conceded they inched further and further back towards the goal and i it, it it's a big issue because these are the games that spurs need to you know under Mourinho with this style of play need to ruthlessly stamp out and the difference between a second goal and trying to cling on with that one goal is, is huge. And you could see Palace, you know, gain confidence and, and, and suddenly 
feel you know fairly early into the second half feel like oh you know we we've, we can do something here we can you know we we can score and, and lo and behold it didn't it was fully deserved I mean a draw was probably the right result purely because I think Spurs were the best of the first half and Palace were far far better in the second half yeah they were really good Grits we talk about Palace a lot don't we yeah yeah, yeah. I think we're both quite big fans of them yeah um, I just feel like I think we mentioned last week that Palace have got the individuals to do to do whatever they want, really. They, they, the, the sky's the limit for those individuals. It's just have they got the manager that will allow them to flourish like that. But actually, I think Roy might be the right guy still. I think, yeah. I think he has got... They've got a rigidity to them at times, but they, he does let them express themselves to a certain extent. And I thought that second half against Spurs was probably their best second best half of the season so far. It's one of those uh, managerial fits that's just... It, it was the right, right manager for the right club. And when he went there, and it just seemed to be somewhere that he could... Uh, build his reputation back up, but also just use his knowledge. These players have really responded to it. Really uh, shrewd recruitment because basically he's had to cull a very expensive wage bill without, you know, k- keeping some of the players. It was shrewd keeping all the Benteke when everyone would perhaps have got rid of him. Uh, as mm. he's come in, maybe give, letting players get on with their jobs. When I've watched Palace and they've been rubbish in the last few years, it's because they've relied on players like MacArthur to be the passing players in midfield, and that's not yeah. really his role. Um, you know, and they've tried various players to play alongside him, um, Kabai and various like creative players. But what Palace have got is they've got a great change of gear that other teams can't deal with. And I think you made a good point there, Gareth, that Tottenham just sat in and didn't realise that Palace have... Well, it always shocks teams when Palace go up through the gears because uh, Zaha's just... He's unplayable. But what he does is uh, he plays off of um, Benteke and Eze now has come into that. Plus, Townsend's got an absolute rocket in his locker and, and can, yeah. deliver a, can deliver a ball, you know? There's also Batshuayi not really getting a Bashuai. look in at the minute, and he's he's yeah. a Belgium international, like he's a good player. And, yeah, and I mean, you can also throw in um, Ayu, who Ayu, absolutely. was superb last year, and yeah. not quite the races this year, but you know he works incredibly hard. And he makes opportunities for the team, and you know you're now talking about having six or seven forwards who he can mix and match, and he no longer has to sit and be like, okay, well these are my three attackers. If they're out of form, they're out of form. He can now bring in the right players at the right time. Another, I think, you know, sort of credit to his management is uh, Milivojevic, who was such a fixture for a couple of years, fell out of form. He took yeah. him out of the team and he's managed to get him back to a place where he's back in the team and contributing well. You know, and that's, that's so that's great. great. Yeah. That's really good management, yeah. Uh, right, we'll have a, a quick break um, just while Gritz gets pulled over by the police. Uh, after the break, though, we'll have uh, to talk about. I want to talk about the Manchester derby briefly because it's not worth spending too much time on that. Um, and Fulham against Liverpool. See you after the break. If you want an e-bike that doesn't look like it's made for the shopping precinct... Something that's less Mr. Bean and more Steve McQueen. Check out the range of bikes from London-based Cooler King. From dope 250-watt city bikes to Harley Bobber-inspired 750-watt beasts that can tear your face off while leaving your smile intact. Cooler Kings are made in limited numbers, yet highly affordable. Check them out now on the web at cooler.bike or find them on Instagram with hashtag CoolerKingBike. Cooler.bike. E-bikes that are cool AF. Right, welcome back. 
Hope you enjoyed your break. Martin, where are you, please? Quick uh, quick update on your travel. Uh, Bermondsey. I'm just, I'm, I'm still not in the Rotherhead Tunnel. And, you know, as you can tell by the alarms and, and various other things going on around me, the sirens, it's it's not looking good. No. What time you got to be at the uh, at South End Roots Hall? Uh, I, I should be okay once they get on the other side of the river, but I get there for about half six, seven. So should be fine, but should you never fine. know. Well, hear it live on the podcast. Um, I mean, not live, is it? You can't have it live. It's, it's apologies, it's as live. Live, guys. But it's as not, it's not going to be as exciting <laughs> as it could be, unless, of course, you hear in the paper that Martin Gritton's got in trouble on the way there and has actually been arrested for something. <laughs> and then this could be, you know, evidential. This this could be very important. Don't let the we are famous enough as a footballer that you, if you got arrested, you'd be in a local paper somewhere. Well, the, the, it depends what club. If you're at a club where they have a, lo- a daily paper, somewhere like Grimsby, Grimsby mm. Telegraph, which was daily, if if a player did something wrong, and there's no other Might. teams around that place, yeah. So, like, in places like Torquay and that, you'd have a daily little update. If you play for teams like Yeovil, there's a weekly paper. So, as long as you, um, yeah, as long as you... Did you ever get in there for anything that wasn't football-related? <laughs> no, no, certainly not. Well, you know, visiting local schools, you know, I was a good guy. You know, going to the... Going to the on an official basis, you mean, Christmas, right? On, an, on club business, mate, on club business. <laughs> oh, it's not okay, still the break, not... Mark. Come on, back into back into <laughs> Premier League. Where, 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 oh, yeah, that was it. Uh, I mentioned them very briefly earlier on um, with regards to the 3-0 home win, but Leicester looked really, really good. Um I feel like we say this every year. They start so well and they look really dangerous and then they sort of fall fall apart a little bit. Uh, is that going to happen again this year, Gareth? Yes. Um, <laughs> okay. I, they, it's, they are the most frustrating team. Like, you know, I, I think I've said this enough on the podcast that people now think that they're a bit of a bugbear team for me or, or maybe Brenda Rogers is, but... You know, the moment that you think if you come and show show something is usually the moment where it seems to go awry. And then other games like this, they're, they're so impressive. Once the first goal went in, it looked like it was completely finished from the start. Um, and they've got enough players to succeed. And they were one of the few teams who played in midweek in Europe who had a convincing result. Pretty much any other team who played in midweek did not. That's interesting. That is, it's their slave rule passing when they get when they make the ball work and they move it quickly they're so hard to play against and they yes. just you know with Vardy up front they've just got the perfect weapon to just keep supplying him with those with uh, with those right chances and, and he will he'll turn up with the goods but yeah you can tell that they're, they're coached to play at that high tempo and it, and it works really well when, when the players get it right I think that um, <laughs> probably the brightest point for Leicester fans is seeing James Madison play so well. I think his Back, best game I can remember for a long time. And yeah, he's he's obviously been carrying an injury, which I think they've kind of played down. Um, but you get the sense that it's kind of lingered. He's been in and out of the team and it's taken a while to come back. And it looks like that, you know, they've managed it to the point where he, he you know, he was he was superb on on Sunday. And I think that, well, this is that does work well. Uh, it's only a year ago we were we were putting him in the same category as Grealish and Mason Mount for England, weren't we? Or Deli Alley at that point. I mean, yeah, that's yeah, obviously yeah, fallen yeah. away a little bit. So he's definitely got a lot of ability. Um, but I think you're probably right about that injury thing. I, I, I think I just sort of put it down to bad form or falling out of favour. But that would make a lot more sense for it to be an injury that they were playing down a little bit. Because he is, he is a superb number 10. It's just not that many teams play with a 10. And... You know, so it stands out when they're playing badly. Uh, okay, so Leicester, good. Brighton, who I still do rate. 
I think you might be right about them, Gareth. Maybe they are going to fall apart. Um, but yeah, Leicester are good. I, the way I see it with Leicester is they will they will be competitive and, until their squad shows itself to be not quite deep enough. Mm. And that could happen in January or it could happen in, well, this season could happen, could happen in May or June if it gets postponed further. But I think it, at some point it will get found out and there are four teams better than them to to finish in those Champions League spaces. Yeah. Uh, right, let's move on to... Uh, the, we'll talk about the Manchester derby. It wasn't a great one, although I did find it reasonably fascinating at points. I'm not completely sure why that is. I think I thought something was about to happen. Anything to talk about there, Gritz, or do you want to move on straight away from that? No, I'm, I'm not on the Manchester derby. Didn't see it, and, uh, and by all accounts, okay. was, was woeful. I, I checked in, obviously. So I, I was waiting for some highlights, but nothing seemed to appear. Read yeah. uh, a friend of the pod, Miguel, Miguel Delaney's uh, report of it, a few other things. I was like, well, to be honest, not 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 one worth noting about. But uh, but yeah, probably Ollie, a nice a nice week for him not to be in the headlines. Yeah, that's it. Anything to uh, add to that, Gareth? I yeah, I, I think. You know, on on Solskjaer, I think it was a slightly better result for him. You know, he's looks like he's a bit more backs to the wall right now, and so losing, I think, would have piled a lot more pressure on him. I I think uh, Guardiola's team came out looking slightly worse because it left you wondering exactly how far back they were from where they yeah. were two years ago. Yeah, absolutely, and that sums up pretty well. Uh, let's move on to um, Everton Chelsea. Now we've we've really laid it on quite thick about Lampard the last couple of weeks and how these things turned things around. But then I saw a stat about Chelsea that well, they just really have struggled with teams in the top six, top eight. They don't really beat teams in the top half of the table. And they went away to Everton and largely looked a bit toothless. They'd certainly looked out-battled by Everton. Um, can we read much into this? Is that stat telling at all or is it just, it was just one of those things? Gareth? I think that... I, so, you know, like I said, statistically, it says so. I I didn't really get a sense that they they struggle against better teams. I, I do wonder whether Lampard is happy to settle for a point rather than, like, really pushing for free. I, you know, I think he's he's a little more cautious in his games. The, the Manchester United Spurs games were pretty tepid affairs. Um, Everton's different because I think, given that Everton haven't had many good results for the last, you know, four or five weeks... I'm, you know, I'm assuming he, he he did go for the jugular there, but for whatever reason, it just didn't happen. I am more inclined just to put it down to, again, you know, uh, playing him midweek, and I know that you know it was a dead rubber game for them, and they did rotate the squad. Mm. But um, yeah. you know, I think just having those multitudes of fixtures is is really going to start catching up on teams. It's the Christmas schedule, as we know, is 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 punishing, um, and I, I'm not really sure. I guess you know it's. You try and you keep going till January, um, you know, the first week of January when there's that that break uh, in the league for the FA Cup, which I think a lot of teams uh, you're going to see the most skeletal of uh, of reserve sides in the in the FA Cup third round, maybe even more so than than before. But I, yeah, it, it, it was quite strange because Chelsea have been so impressive generally in the last few weeks to to pull out an absolute stinker like that was was pretty eye-opening, but he still doesn't know his best team. That's the other thing. He's he's still chopping and changing. You know, Giroud is flavour of the month, and now it looks like Tammy Abraham's going to come in and, 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 and get some minutes, and, you know, to use a phrase they're so fond of. So 
he probably needs to settle on that team quite soon because they need to work out some continuity. But uh, the brightest spark for them, I think, was was, was Reese James, who was superb again. Mark, yeah, he, I'm, going to, I'm going to have to interrupt. You guys are in for an absolute treat. I'm just about to go through the Rotherhead Tunnel. You're going to get a gritten-free podcast for the next few minutes at least. So okay. if, any last words? If you need anything from me, about 20, 20 to 30 seconds. No, so. Martin, this is this is absolutely, this is, in a way, unprofessional, but in another way, really very exciting. Well, Come on, tender hooks. It would imply that we were getting paid. And um, also there's some kind of blue, <laughs> there's some blue flashing lights. So, you know that kind oh, of... Oh, Martin, I think you might be dying. Yeah. <laughs> Quick, so. Quickly, Grits, you know him better than anyone. David Batty, <laughs> will he score, yes or no? <laughs> oh! Yes. Um, no. Lies, lies, lies. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. maybe we'll hear from you later on. Maybe we won't. Just, I'll be. Oh, don't you worry. I'll be back. I, I will be <laughs> letting you know when I am. But you might not be. You might have a sort of uh, sliced alone daylight sort of. Uh, oh, that's exactly what I was up. thinking. That's exactly what I was thinking. I'm just like always have that kind of existential terror and dread. You just mm. wait for the drips to come from above, and it's daylight. Great film. Great I went film. to see that at the cinema with a friend of mine, and he um, was literally on the edge of his seat throughout, like bobbing up and down. <laughs> it put me off. Hated uh, it as a result. Anyway, uh, all right, Grits. Well, we'll okay. sign you off there then, and maybe listen to you. Maybe hear you in a short amount of time. Um, Gareth. <laughs> Gareth, uh, what what do they do about Kai Havertz? I mean, I am sort of loath to judge someone on their first season in this country. It's different. It's a different tempo of football. We know that. He's a young man coming from a different league. Okay, culturally, it's all very different. But he is struggling at the moment. Uh, I mean, what do you do about him? Do you, yeah, do you keep playing him? Do you let him try and play through this? Or do you take him at the firing line and say, look, have Christmas off. Maybe play a couple of games with under 23s or whatever and just find some sort of rhythm. He's officially reached a problematic stage. I, I think he was the player I was the most excited about Chelsea siding. Ah, that I watched, whole group, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I watched a lot of him in the last the last year or so in the Bundesliga and he he's so good. And be, as well as that, it's not like it's a... It shouldn't be a positional thing or an adapting thing because he plays all over the, you know, the front, the front three and and even further back, um, you know, in, in Germany. So it's you should be able to find a place for him. And they have tried him in a bunch of roles, and he just looks so woefully short. And he's not really involved in the games. He drifts in and out. Um, his first touch appears to have kind of yes, let down. First touch is a big thing for me there. Um, and you know, it's that thing where every time it happens, he has that slightly distant look on his face where he's like, "I'm not really sure what's happened here." And you know, Lampard is definitely, I think he's trying to play him into form. He's trying to give him the opportunities. And, you know, obviously he's going to know a player, you know, by working with him every day. And he obviously feels that maybe it's going to be more of an issue to take him out. It's going to have a, you know, a more, a sort of impactful kind of effect. But, you know, at some point you, you have to take him out of the team because it's affecting, it's affecting their results now, I think. And the only reason why he's probably in the team right now is because the is injured. I think if that was, uh, if that wasn't the case and if Pulisic wasn't, you know, who, who has his own injury issues, if those two were sort of readily available, he would have a much better reason to, to, to bench him. And I, I, I can only assume it's coming. But what, what we saw in Germany from him was he was often on the shoulder of the last man. Yeah. Or, or making late runs into the box or essentially getting into positions where you can score goals. And he's prolific there. Scored a lot of goals, made a lot of goals. Fantastic. I'm not even seeing him make those runs anymore. And I'm certainly not seeing him play on the last shoulder. So I don't know if it's if it's a 
uh, intentional ploy to play him slightly differently to how he played in Germany. But it's just not working. And I, I, I don't... As, as I say, it's too early to say for me. I, I, I'm not going to go into the problematic camp just yet. I think it is too early still for that. Because don't forget, people like David Silva struggled in their first season. So I'm not going to I'm not going to criticise him just yet. But if we're a year down the line and it's still not quite working out, what do they do? Because he's on such a long contract with such big money and we're in an hour depressed market where people aren't really paying top whack. It, this could be this could be a real disaster. But like I say, he's got plenty of time to sort it out. I think Lampard still trusts him, but he's not only got to get into the side; he's got to get into the side against some outstanding competition in there because they've got five or six players in those forward areas that are just uh, just fantastic. I think maybe some of the best Chelsea have ever had in terms of competition. Yeah, it's. I mean, it, it's so good. You know, it is very much the embarrassment of riches. I I do think that. It's quite interesting how they've moved uh, Timo Werner as a more of a wide forward now, and you know, generally he always played the middle. He was, the, I assume, the, he was the nine the yeah. player up top, yeah. Um, and and yeah, they obviously feel that you know Lampard likes playing with a, I guess, a more solid number nine, which is you know, very much the definition of Giroud and 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 Tim Abraham. So um, it'll be interesting to see if that evolves. Um, you know, Giroud. I assume this will be his last his last season at club, whatever. So you kind of and and they did try uh, Timo Werner um, as a as a proper central striker. So yeah, maybe it's a case of they have all the pieces, they just still aren't quite sure how how to fit together. Um, and yeah. and the other thing is, you know, there is definitely a degree of overcompensation where in order to retain that defensive solidity, he's had to put the brakes on a little bit in terms of the attacking play. So um, yeah, absolutely. Gareth, yeah, I'm going to stop you there because it sounds like we've got a <laughs> oh, we've got a man on the other side of the tunnel. Yes, he's, he's back. back. I made it, guys. I made it. Did you miss me? What, what have I missed? What have I missed? Well, it's, it's uh, 2025 and we've had a really nice few years. <laughs> <laughs> Is Trump still president? That's all I'm yeah, worried about. He always will be. Thank goodness for we that. Just, we just wrapped up on, um, I think we just wrapped up on uh, Kai Havertz and, uh, and Chelsea. Uh, there's two more games I want to talk about from the weekend, and then we'll go. We'll make it pretty quick. Um, Southampton, Sheffield United. Uh, Southampton, very good. They're a good side. We know that. We all are fans of Hasselhootl. Um, yeah. Yep. Danny Ings is back. They look way more solid. Ward Price looks great. Romeo looks great. Armstrong looks great. Che Adams looks great. Vestergaard. They look like a really outstanding side. And I feel like this is a manager who, with even better individuals, could do anything. There's, there's no ceiling on it. Well, Redmond's back in as well. I mean, like, they've yeah. got players coming. Because Walcott, it's funny, isn't it? Being able to kind of adapt Walcott. Walcott's just, he's one of those players that you just wonder if he'll ever be as effective. Obviously, he won't be the player he was at, was at Arsenal, but but kind of how does he fit into a Premier League team? Um, but but Redmond and now giving him competition for places, it means that yeah. you can you can play these guys for two or three games, get the best out of them. And he looked um, good, Walcott, yeah. It does. Uh, uh, the energy about them, the way they play, their shape. I mean, you've you've said it on this pod, uh, Mark, about Che Adams, and it's great to see him playing um, at the level that he, you know, that he can. Um, so, uh, Vestergaard, brilliant. Another centre half that could get plundered, but for, from them, hopefully not. But he's yeah, yeah. he's he, he's certainly one of those kind of being earmarked for for higher things. So, hopefully, Southampton keep it together because uh, you know they can definitely be a surprise package. I'd love to see them in the Champions League. Definitely, Gareth. When uh, when Jose implodes next season uh, and then leaves <laughs> Cloud, yes, uh, would you be happy to take Hasenhutl as it stands? 
Yeah, 100%. I, I think he must be, in, in terms of Premier League managers, he's the one who feels primed for, you know, the next stage. Yeah. Um, and yeah, there, there's a new job vacancy at Brisbane Dortmund. I think people are starting to wonder whether he's on their list or, or whether he's, you know, whether he's now going to be the, you know, the next project guy, whether he's going to be given, you know, uh, a Manchester United or, or, or similar, like you said, a Spurs. Because, you know, this idea of sort of building a culture and developing, um, you know, a program is, it seems to be, you know, what he's, he's been tasked yeah. with doing and he's doing really well. It's, yeah. He does feel quite similar to, to Pochettino, um, who obviously left Southampton go to, to go to Spurs in terms of he comes in, he changes the entire culture. He, he has a, a clear sort of manifesto about how a football club sort of operates together. Um, and it's, you know, the last 12 months has been, has been absolutely incredible, and yeah. I, I guess that that's that that that's the fear with someone like Southampton is, is as good as it gets, you then start going, is this going so well that we're going to lose the thing that's making it great? <laughs> yeah, horrible, isn't it? It's a real it's a real horrible situation. Um, quick word on Sheffield United. This is the third week in a row now that I've said this. They struggle for goals. They don't score goals, this team. They don't even try and score goals anymore. They started on Saturday with uh, Ollie McBurney. And 110-year-old Billy Sharp up front. They then take <laughs> off Billy Sharp. And what do they do? Do they put on their 23 million pound young finisher, Rian Brewster? No, of course they don't. They get David McGoldrick on the field instead. And they make Brewster wait another 15 minutes or whatever it was to come on. I have lost all sympathy with this side. A team we all love watching last year have <laughs> fallen to pieces. Chris Wilder, who I absolutely love, cannot get past his blind spot of... Get people who can score goals on the pitch. I understand you need to have hard workers up top. You want to defend from the front. But unless you have people that can make a difference in the Premier League, you're not going to score enough goals to stay up. Am I he's being unfair been, there, Grits? He's been listening to this pod, mate. He's been listening to this pod. And, um, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, just, just, just to do it to wind you up because it's, it's next oh, level. Oh, Grits, but it does. It really does wind me up. Look, yeah. we're, in a, we're in a situation here, Grits, where they might, I don't think this will happen, but they might take Derby County's record for the lowest ever points in the league. I would love that to happen. Yeah, but at the same time, I'm finding it so frustrating that he's not just playing someone who can score. Maybe he can score goals, maybe he can't. We're never going to find out. We're never going to find out if he doesn't play. And then he's he's painted himself into a, a real traumatic box here, Ian Brewster, because if he doesn't get games, he's going to go down with Sheffield United. He's not going to get a move back into the Premier League because he's not played any games in the Premier League. So he might be stuck in the championship on big wages, which the club don't want either. He's getting it was Fraser Campbell. He's getting Fraser Campbell, mate. He's getting that's Fraser Campbell. It's so frustrating. Yeah. I know. I know. Well, right, we'll have right, to watch fine, whatever. We'll yeah, watch this space. Right, last game we're going to talk about is Fulham, Liverpool. Guys, did you watch this one? I thought this was absolutely fascinating. Go on. Go on. Gareth, you start. Sorry. I uh, watched some of it actually i i, I can't oh, remember why, but I, I didn't see the entire <laughs> game um i think i was mainly struck by how lethargic liverpool looked and uh yes. you know Klopp yeah. was absolutely losing his mind on the sidelines i've never seen him as animated for such long periods of time you know, he was just individually you know calling out players and beseeching them to you know to, to sort of crack on and, and liven up and he didn't really look like he knew what was happening or why beyond he could see his team were just underperforming. It was that really weird thing where uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold just seemed to swing at the ball and not really wasn't bothered about giving away a corner or like didn't mean to. It was just this summed up 
the mood. And then when he went onto the bench and you're just looking at Klopp, I'm like, that's the sort of thing. He's like watching a teacher get wound up by, you know, incremental badness uh, from the kids that it, all it takes is one little thing that's the straw that broke the camel's back. But listen, I don't want to take anything away from Fulham, Mark, because I think Fulham were absolutely brilliant. And also, yes. just, you know, they should have won. I th- Fulham have been a great team to watch last few weeks. I th- I th- they're so hard to play. Um, uh, Cordoba, what's his? Uh, yeah, Cordoba, Cordoba, yeah, Bobby, Bobby Cordoba, what a player! Um, well, he won many, but they just they attack from the flanks, they pin teams in, and then and then they win the ball so high up that they're in a yeah. good position to make use of it. Well, this, is, this is the difference between them and, them and Sheffield United. They've got players on the pitch who can make a difference. They've got Decord over Reed. They've got uh, Lookman, who they brought in. Yeah, Lookman's brilliant. Loftus yeah, yeah, Cheek. yeah. Loftus they've got Cheek. Mitrovic coming off the bat. I mean, Mitrovic is the guy that Sheffield United think they've got up front three times. McGoldrick and McBurney and Billy Sharp. None of them are Mitrovic. And yet he's on the bench at Fulham. That is the difference between these two sides. Most well, of the cool. question, though, is when... So a couple of years ago when he was at Cardiff, it was just Bobby Reed. So at yeah. what oh, point wow. did, did he add in the fancy? That was start. I think it was the start of last season, but I imagine it's probably personal issues that are not to be taken the piss out of, Gareth. Probably, actually, he probably got bullied. He probably got bullied to, to to drop it so that he didn't have to use up all the numbers on his back. Where was he at Cardiff? It's exactly the sort of thing. But Vincent Tan was like, I'm "Not spending a fortune putting your double barrel name on the back." Just also, that <laughs> was the Warnock era. Mm. There you go. There you go. It's right on bomb. that on that bombshell. We're going to have to. <laughs> End the show for this week. Uh, Martin, it's been a pleasure listening to you sweat your way across London. Thanks, mate. Yeah. Uh, Gareth, thank you, as ever, for being on the show. Good show. Fun show. Good lads. Strong lads. We'll be back <laughs> same time next week with another episode of the Whistleblowers podcast. This is a Playback Media production. To listen to all our football podcasts, visit playbackmedia.co.uk. Sports Social Podcast Network.